Well, thank you, and good morning. It's just been a wonderful day so far. Um, worshiping with this family here is, is so special. It just lifts up my week, and, uh, and I love being here. Uh, Wynette and I both really love the heart and spirit of, of this family here, and, uh, and so much appreciate each one of you. So thank you for giving me a chance to talk. Um, the the uh, tagline, I guess you'd call it, of belong, believe, become, um, just hits on the mark what I believe that Jesus had in mind when he started the church over 2,000 years ago. That it's a place for us to be in community, to belong to each other, to support, nurture, and love each other, to come to deeper belief in him and deeper relationship with him. And as the Bible says, to be transformed into the image of the Son. That's a promise that God gives us, and that's the become part of it. So, so I, I love the whole premise behind what we're doing as a church together here, and I'm so excited to be part of it. With Micah and Sarah gone, um, as Dustin said, they gave me an opportunity to talk, um, which may not have been a good idea, but we'll see. It's too late to take it back now. Um, and I'm going to be talking to you a little bit about um, Spring of Hope International in particular, the group that I've been working with in Kenya that I am very, very passionate about. I, I'm so blessed to be part of that work, and God is really doing a great work there. So the Vine has, has helped. Uh, SOHI is the acronym, so I'm going to use SOHI this morning, um, Spring of Hope, SOHI. Um, and the Vine has been active in, in participating financially in a few ways as they do their reg- we do our regular tithes as a church. Um, and many members here also are involved. So this is a chance to, to share with some of you that may not know about SOHI and also to update those of you that know a little more about it about what's going on there. So I hope this is a, a worthwhile talk for today. I'm going to sit down because Phil, because <laughs> Phil had me up building a deck last week. And since he is the professional and knows what he's doing, I got to be the grunt laborer. So I carried all the lumber. So, But it was fun. It was a great time. And it's Again, it's, it's just good to, to be in fellowship with your brothers and sisters. And even doing things like working together has so much meaning. Um, and it's a lot of fun. So thank you, Phil. Kind of. So, so I want to start by sharing with you a very important truth that, that has become increasingly real to me over the years. Uh, and it's found in Romans 12. And it's about mindset change about the, the way that God wants us to change how we view the world. Um, so let's read that together. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your proper worship as rational beings. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, 
and perfect will. That's kind of a, an obscure passage that, that you may not study all the time. You know, there's the God so loved the world in John 3.16 and a lot of others that, we, that instantly pop to mind. But I think this one is really, really important for us as we, we move into the believe uh, and become stage of our walk with Christ. Um, in verse 2, he tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That's kind of a, an interesting phrase right there. We're, we're, we're told, what does that mean to be transformed by the renewing of your mind? In my mind, it means that we are to start seeing things in a different way than we did before we knew the Lord, before we had a relationship with God. Our, our outlook, our perspective, our paradigm on life needs to be transformed and changed. Um, and in doing so, we will understand his will. That's what it says in the latter part of that verse, in that we, we begin to see things more through God's eyes. We see people with his love. We see circumstances and situations that he actually is orchestrating and working in the world around us. And it's a beautiful thing. He also says that we need to Stop living according to the pattern of this world. So what might the pattern of this world be? Well, I think, I think the pattern of this world, for us Americans, is the way our culture views things. Okay? And if you start thinking about the way our culture and our world around us and the media and everything else views things and portrays things, I think you'll get the idea. Um, it's very selfish. It's all about becoming successful, climbing the corporate ladder, being beautiful, being popular, being wealthy. That's, that's what our world tells us is the path to success, and hence the path to fulfillment in your life. But in reality, God tells us not to be holding on and conforming to and making that our value system. It's not about self. God doesn't want selfish people. God wants selfless people. Okay, So that's part of the transformation that I hope is taking place continually in all our lives. Don't get me wrong, I'm not there. Not even close. But I hope that as we go through our walk in life and God is our guide and, and the Holy Spirit is living within us, that we are being transformed and we're learning to not conform to, to the selfish desires that each one of us has. That we're gradually being coming less selfless. Was Jesus selfless? Yes, in every way. He died for us, and he told us this truth, and he showed it by his very life and the actions he took to the point that he went to the cross and died. So our goal, then, is to be transformed through the renewing of our mind and to put off the culture, the world, the media's way of looking at things and put on God's, God's visors, God's filter in how we look at things in this life. So, um, 
I don't say this with a lot of pleasure, but I spent 35 years conforming to the world's view of success. I, I chased the American dream. I worked hard. I went to school and worked full-time. I got my degree, and then I, I hit the career like nobody's business. And I got to the point where I was traveling five out of six weeks, and I was successful in my job, and I was moving up the corporate ladder, and I became a vice president of the company and a part owner of the company, and, and I was thinking, you know, this is, this is what it's all about. I'm sorry to say what I didn't realize is I was leaving behind some of the most important aspects of life. I didn't realize it. I was chasing after those things, and I was not home to be the kind of father that I could and should have been to my three beautiful boys. I wasn't having the kind of relationship with God that I should have had. I was a Christian that whole time, but it wasn't personal. It's become increasingly personal, and, and God has, has revealed many things to me over the recent years. Um, but it finally came to a head when my health started going. My blood pressure just uh, three years ago was running about 190 over 95. I wasn't sleeping at night anymore. I was just constantly stressed, staying up late, working on presentations, going out to get that next big job. And then I... I went to work, our company was bought by a company that for me was toxic. Their value system was even totally different from mine. And it just got worse and worse to the point that I had to do something. And I like to think that God actually woke me up to the reality of what I was doing in my life, that I was conforming to the pattern of this world. I was letting this culture and the media and all of its messages drive me in a direction that were not godly, that were not healthy for me, for my relationship with him, for my family, or any of that. So I just thank him for, for the wake-up call. Um, though it may have come with a little bit of sickness and other heartache, it was well worth learning. Um, I wound up discovering, through a long story that I won't tell you this morning or I won't get to the main part of my talk, that the true path to fulfillment and contentment is life in life is changing your vision from that of success in our culture's perspective to significance, to making a difference in the world, and to finding the purpose that God created you to do. Because Ephesians 2.10 tells us that God created us, each one of us individually, and had in mind before we were born a purpose for us in our lives. So we find that purpose, and we change our perspective to serving and helping other people, and all of a sudden, that blood pressure drops, that contentment comes, the joy that God promises in our lives can be changed. doesn't mean you have to quit your job. A lot of people think that that's what I'm saying. I wound up retiring um, because I was able but, but it means that you, you look at things differently as you go forward. So in May of 2015, I retired from my job and started what I call my second career. 
Um, and that's helping the hurting in the name of Christ. Um, that's my personal mission statement. Um, and, and through the process after I retired, I believe that God led me to Spring of Hope International, to SOHI, this group that I'm working with. And I went on my first trip to Kenya with them in October of 2015 to see for myself if this is what it just felt like God wanted me to be doing in my life, to serving in this way. And once I got there and I saw the poverty, the suffering that was going on that, that I'd never really perceived, you know, you, you kind of get this, it's over here in the peripheral vision, and if you try not to look that direction, you don't necessarily real, you can not really realize it's going on in the world around you. And I got to meet the beautiful people of Kenya, the, the joy that they have in spite of their poverty, the love that they have in spite of their poverty, the faith that they have in spite of their poverty. It, it was transforming to me. This was, I thought I was going over there to help them, but this was eye-opening that these people could be the kind of people they were in spite of the fact that they had absolutely nothing and many were dying because of the circumstances they were in. So I went on that first trip, and I was hooked. I, I, just, I just loved I loved the organization and how they approached it, and I'll tell you a little bit about that. But I loved the chance that maybe I could give back a little bit, that I could do something that makes a difference in the world, and that I felt like this was God, what God was calling me to, to do. So I've been back to Kenya five times, additional times in the last two and a half years, um, and I'm very involved in the organization in many ways, um, and, and just loving it. It's been a really awesome journey for me, and I, I just thank God for it. It's not what everyone should be doing. I'm not trying to build myself up as some kind of example, because I'm not, but for me, God has blessed me. And I do encourage everyone to consider what is his purpose for you? And are you conforming to the patterns of this world? Are you allowing your mind to be transformed? And let God work in your heart and your life in that way. That's my encouragement to you. Um, I've experienced mindset change, as we talked about at the beginning, this transformation um, in many ways in my life. Again, I've changed my perspective, well done, on, on what is the true path to fulfillment. It's, to me, it's from going from a vision of success to one of significance, making a difference in the world. I've, I've transformed and, and had mindset change in the realization that God does have a plan for each of us. I mentioned Ephesians 2.10. It says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That and many other scriptures make it very clear that God has a plan for each one of us. I've, uh, I've experienced mindset change in the realization that poverty and suffering are a far, far, far greater problem than I ever allowed myself to see before throughout the world. Literally billions of people are living in horrible poverty. And we as Americans just don't get it. I mean, unless you experience it, 
well, I guess I'd say I've been over there six times now, and I'm beginning to get it, but I don't live the life they live. I still live a very comfortable life, so you know, unless I was actually in their shoes, I wouldn't totally get it, but I understand it much more clearly than I did. There is so much suffering in the world, and God cares about every one of every person on this earth that is or has ever been. Mankind is God's greatest creation, and he loves us, everyone. And he cares about everyone's physical, emotional, and spiritual health. It's not just one little aspect of our lives that God cares about. And then lastly, I've got a new appreciation for the differences that exist between people, cultures, races. I, I always thought that I was colorblind, that I, I saw other people um, as just equal. I, I didn't look at the color of people's skins or race issues or things like that. But in reality, I realized that, that it's kind of inbred in us, and, and God reveals over time different things that, wow, I shouldn't be looking at it that way. Okay, I've probably taken too much time with my little introduction, so I'd like to go ahead and move on to the, to the actual talk about Spring of Hope. Okay, Spring of Hope is a Spokane-based nonprofit. Um, it was started by a man named, named David Opop, who was actually born and raised in Kenya, in rural Kenya, actually in the region where we're working. Let's move to the next slide. Um, he was born and raised there, living in that poverty. The distended stomach um, told me stories about as a child. He was so hungry at times that he would mix salt with dirt and eat it just to have something in his stomach. He lost a mother and four siblings to waterborne disease. Um, it's a reality. And he was blessed um, through, I would say, some miraculous events to come to the United States and get an education. And while he was here, his mother died of a waterborne disease. The State Department, when he wanted to go and visit her when she was very sick, said, okay, you can go, but if you leave, you can't come back to finish your education. So he wound up staying here. And she wound up dying, and it just instilled in him the words, that she, the last words she ever said to him before he left the country of Kenya. She said, don't forget where you came from. And so that instilled in him a desire at that point to, to make a difference uh, in the suffering and poverty that was going on in that part of the world. So he's, he's just a great ambassador. He's still the executive director, and, and he and I partner on a lot of things. So the mission of SOHI is to nurture Christ-centered community transformation in Africa, and our vision is empowering African communities with the mindset and resources to alleviate extreme poverty. I want to point out just a couple words in that that I think are important. First is nurturing. This is not about just doing stuff for people and giving stuff to people. You don't alleviate poverty in that way. Sometimes you keep people alive through those kinds of relief efforts, and that's necessary. But to really make a transformation take place and to, to alleviate and reduce poverty, it needs to be something that's done in and with the people there. They need to own it and lead it. 
So when I say nurturing, that means that we are partnering with the people there. We're in community with them. It's a very unique approach to uh, what charities or nonprofits typically do, but it's very important in the approach that's taken. We're empowering the people in the communities. Okay? So, next, please. So we're in Kenya on the western side or the eastern side of the continent of Africa. We're on the very western part of the country uh, near the shores of Lake Victoria. And this is a very arid region. Um, two rainfalls a year is all they get. Um, it's about 45 square miles is the region that we're currently working in. And we continually expand that boundary as we help them to make progress in their area. So our, our vision is to organically grow the support that we provide to the communities in an ever-expanding area. So it's about 45 square miles right now with about 40,000 people. Next. Just to give you a little feel for the poverty that's occurring there. Um, lack of clean water. Clean water is 300 foot down through volcanic rock. So for generations, they've been drinking pond water that cattle are standing in drinking and doing all other kinds of bodily functions. Um, in dirty rivers that are flowing by, that's where they get their water from. And so waterborne disease of all kinds that you can imagine is, is very prevalent. And for that reason, mortality rate, especially in children under five, is extremely high in the older population. Um, unemployment's above 95%. So there's not jobs to be had for these people. They're in a rural part of Kenya where, where the big nonprofits don't generally go. They're going to focus in the, area, the larger cities and areas where, you know, there's a greater population density. And I'm not blaming them for that. But these people in this area are just kind of left behind. And, and so they don't get the kind of assistance that they need. Um, they, they typically, each family has this little chunk of land, maybe an acre, that they try to farm. And because there's only two rainfalls a year, when it rains, they run out there and they plant their crops, and then they pray that there will be enough rain for them to get something to eat off of it because they don't have a job. They can't buy food. And as often as not, the crops produce little or nothing because of the lack of rain. Droughts that last anywhere between two and four and a half months, um, crops die. Oh, could you go back just for a second? I just want to, uh, this, this lady here, this grandmama here is just amazing. I fell in love with her. She was the most beautiful, loving, caring person. Um, there is an AIDS epidemic in this area also. So it's the highest concentration of HIV in the country of Kenya and one of the highest in the whole African continent. Her, the children... Her daughter and son-in-law both died of AIDS and left this 75-year-old lady with four children. This is the youngest, about 18 months, up to 14 years. And her, 
her purpose in life is to help these kids survive and, and you know, make it, hopefully, get out of poverty. She was, she was such a beautiful and amazing person. This lady is, is sitting on a pile of rocks with a hammer, breaking big rocks into little rocks, and so she has a job. She doesn't get paid squat, but she has a job. She gets a little bit of money for that, and she is so proud of that because no one else has a job. So we have worked with the leaders in the community, um, working with the chiefs. We actually have, there's four locations which are equivalent to counties in this 45 square miles. And we worked with the chiefs and other leaders, spiritual leaders and others in the community. And we came up with these four core principles for how we were going to work together. First and foremost is that mindset change is essential. They, for generations, have lived in this poverty that they're living in. So what we talk to them about is if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. So they need to look at things and approach things differently in order to change their physical circumstances. Secondly, is that the work, the work that takes place must be a grassroots movement. For years... They have, they've sat around and hoped and waited that the government would fix their poverty condition. And just like the U.S. government, if you wait on them to fix a problem, it's not likely to get fixed. It's just the reality of government. So it needs to be a grassroots movement. Start with the individuals, work to the family, work to the community, and then the government may or may not get involved in it. But to change their circumstances, it needs to go through that approach. Third, it must be holistic. Um, what sometimes happens is really good uh, nonprofits will come in and drill wells, taking, trying to resolve some of the problem with lack of clean water, which is a beautiful thing to do. But if you don't actually look at the whole of societal life, you won't raise up the, the overall level of, of their life. If, if they have water, but they're still starving to death, you've only helped one aspect. You see what I mean? So it needs to be holistic. It looks, needs to look at more of their life. So we conveyed this, plus a little more that you'll see coming up, with the community leaders a year ago, February. We were in a room with about 60 of these leaders, chiefs and other leaders in the community, and talking about these concepts and about how we were going to partner and work with them and how we had been partnering and working with them. And they got so excited. One, one of the chiefs stood up and he said, no one has ever treated us like this before. They've always come in and told us they know how to fix us. And this is what they're going to do for us. They don't ask for our advice. They don't ask for our blessing. And then they do something. Or sometimes they do nothing. And they leave. And nothing ever changes. But, but now you've given us a hope and an opportunity to partner with you to actually change our circumstances. We have control of the, the situation. And the whole group of them stood up and started chanting, Yes, we can. Yes, we can. I, I know it doesn't have the impact with me saying it here. But put yourself in my shoes with this group of people that had no hope for the future 
and see the joy and tears on their faces as they were saying, there is hope. It was, it was an amazing moment. Okay? This is how we're organized to work with them. Uh, their, their leaders in the community, the chiefs and spiritual leaders, work with our leadership in SOHI for vision and planning. Then the chiefs have established four committees for each of our four areas of focus. A water committee, education committee, economic development, and spiritual development committees. And these committees are responsible for identifying what are the greatest problems. They know better than I do. I'm not the one to go in and assess their problems. They know what their problems are. And they identify ideas for solving those problems. They identify what resources they currently have that can help address those problems that they may not have realized before. Um, and they're responsible for helping to implement changes that will help the situation. 10,000 miles away across the ocean, we have established four sister committees for each of these committees. And our committees work with them as they understand the needs and the problems and the resources that exist. We come up with ideas for solutions on helping them to reduce their poverty and their suffering. We come up with technology solutions that are sustainable, that can be used by the community and won't just continue to take outside resources to, to fix their problems and to keep them alive. Um, we provide a lot of training, and we provide some infrastructure resources also to help them. So this is happening in all four of these areas. And I'm going to run out of time real quickly here, so I'm going to go through them very quickly. As much as anything, I want you to understand the situation there and the approach that we're taking to helping them to lift them out of poverty. So please move on. We do have four individuals in the community that are Kenyans, that are SOHI employees, that are the liaisons between the committees. And it is working amazingly well. It's just so cool to see. So these are our four focus areas. I mentioned those before. This slide should have been before the last one, so we can move on. In clean water, we've made, they've made, we collectively have made some amazing progress. There's, there's three primary ways that we address clean water. One is through wells. Uh, we've drilled a number of wells, and we've refurbished a couple dozen almost wells that were broken, may have been installed 20 or 30 years ago. They broke, and the people had no resources nor the knowledge on how to fix them. And so we've gone in and put new pumps in them, or when we drill them, we do this also. They establish a well committee for each individual well. And that well committee is involved in the drilling or repair of a new well. They're trained on how to operate it and how to charge a small fee so that they can have funds available when it breaks. Um, and they're trained, and we've given them the tools and resources to actually repair the, the equipment itself. So that makes it a sustainable solution. They, they have the knowledge, and they have the tools and they're gaining the funds to be able to repair that clean water source. The second clean water source that I listed third, because I'm not very smart, is rain catchment systems. Um, off of buildings like clinics and schools, a great way to get clean water is to catch the rainwater when it comes that's running off their metal roofs and put it into storage tanks. So we've been installing 
some storage tanks and gutter systems in schools and clinics and other places like that. And the third thing is through biosand filtration. These are the biosand filters, very simple looking devices. They're about like that size, 12 by 12 by 36. They uh, have coarse gravel in the bottom, finer gravel, and then sand. They can take muddy, nasty water, like this water, is what a lot of them are drinking, pour it in the top, and it comes out clean. It's really God's approach to producing pure water that's used in our, in our water system all the time. As the rain filters through the soil, it gets clean, and the water that's several hundred feet down is cleaned. A biological layer forms at the top of this sand that kills up to 99% of the pathogens in the water. It's just amazing. And so we've set them up with the molds to make these castings and some raw materials so that they have their own mini industry, nonprofit industry in their community. So they make these things and distribute them to the most needy. And the people that can afford it pay just a small fee to replenish the materials of construction. So, so this is another sustainable solution that we have helped them get started on, trained them on, and now they can keep this process going. Let's go to the next slide. So this is a water map that we've put together. When, when I first got involved, being a geeky engineer, first thing I wanted to know is, okay, where is your source of clean water? And so we put together what I call the water table. It's an Excel spreadsheet with every source of clean water that exists within this region. And then we plotted the locations of them. So at, everyone, at the center of every one of these green circles is an operable well. There's a one-kilometer radius around each, so that's the, the radius of the green circle. And that's the maximum distance that we think it's reasonable to expect people to walk for clean water. Beyond that is a one-kilometer radius of, the, of a two- to three-kilometer or a one to three kilometer distance, and beyond that is, is over three kilometers. And people are actually walking miles and miles for water now. You can see that a lot, there's a lot of green in here, and, it, and progress, we've made phenomenal progress. But there's also still a lot of red areas in here, and yellow areas, where people are actually getting water still from mud holes and rivers. And so our goal is to turn this all green. So we've got about 45% of the area green. Education. Obviously, education is one of the things that they need to lift them out of poverty. Um, and it, it's, it's viewed sometimes as a panacea of fixing the problems, and it will not be the fix-all, but it's necessary. Um, so we have child sponsorship programs uh, similar to World Vision for the orphans of the uh, HIV victims and things like that. Uh, we're providing clean water, some classrooms, latrines, um, and outreach to the youth in the area. There is a severe problem with depression and discouragement because the youth are told that an education is going to fix, be their path out of, out of poverty, but there's no jobs. And so they know that. And, and, and so there's depression, there's demon worship going on, and believe it or not, I didn't believe it till I saw it, actual demon possession going on in those schools. Um, 
And it, it's manifested itself right in front of us. Wynette's been there too and seen it happen. So uh, it, it's a very big problem. So we are going to, in the next year plus, be putting a great emphasis on these schools, helping them to get clean water, latrines, and basic, basic health and sanitation training. Uh, 90, let me get these statistics right. 98% of the schools don't have sufficient clean water to get through a drought. 88% don't have sufficient latrines. And so going out in the bushes spreads disease. And 68 haven't had any form of health and sanitation training, which in itself can be a lifesaver. Just learning to wash your hands can make a big difference in reducing the spread of disease. Let's go. Economic empowerment is a big thing for us um, because if we can get these families to have a little money, they can afford to send their kids to school and they can afford to buy the basic necessities. So one of the things that we've implemented recently that has just been phenomenally beneficial is water pans. And this is simply going to the low point on your little one-acre plot and digging a pond and then channeling the ground so that when the rains come, the pond fills up. Seems like common sense, doesn't it? And, and literally, when we trained them on this, they slapped themselves on the forehead and said, why didn't we think of this? So what happens is this, I took this photograph of tomatoes when I was there in February, and this is a, a land that doesn't have water pans. Here's a lady hauling water to manually water her tomatoes, and this is taken at the same time on land where they're being irrigated by water pans. Being on the equator, they can get two to four crops a year off their land because there's never winter. And, and they just need sufficient water. So this in itself is, already is an amazing game changer in the community. So what we say is crops thrive, starvation ends, excess is sold, and the engine of economy is started. Between this and clean water, um, it's, just, it's just phenomenal to see what's happening there. Spiritual development. Obviously, we are a Christian-based organization, and Christ is our motivation for what we're doing. Um, so we have, we're training pastors in the area. Many of them have never had any formal training. Um, Bible distribution, leadership training, and spiritual training for, for pastors. Um, youth training also in spiritual matters and finding God's purpose for you in your life and giving, getting hope for the future doing prison ministry. I actually, this is a group, right after I spoke to them, they are, they are thirsty for the Lord. All those people standing with their hands up accepted Christ that morning. Can you imagine that from one dumb little talk by a podunk little guy from Kennewick, Washington? Now, I don't take credit for that. That was God's thing. But the point is, they are thirsty for the Lord there. And then we have evangelistic outreach uh, in terms of, of campaigns and, and things like that in the area. Okay? I'm sorry, I, I really need to wrap this up. I'm at a point where I can. Um, there are a number of ways where, where if, you, if God touches your heart to feel like you might want to check out whether there's, this is some place you'd like to get engaged, there are a number of ways to be engaged. First is to go on a vision trip like I did in 2015 and actually see and experience and get to know the people there. It'll change your life, but in a good way, I promise you. 
And if you're interested, talk to me. Uh, you can volunteer on one of those four subcommittees, or funds are always a limiting factor for us. So these are a number of ways that you could get engaged. Real quickly, I just want to point out these two beautiful little girls. Um, you may know them, Rachel and Sarah. They, uh, on their last birthday, they told their friends that they didn't want presents. They just wanted them, people, kids, if they wanted to give them a gift, to bring a soccer ball. And we, I deflated all those soccer balls and took them to Africa and gave them to the grade schools there. And the kids were, oh, ecstatic. They play soccer with, with plastic bags all wadded up into a ball shape. And that's their soccer ball. So, so this was an amazing thing and, and an amazing heart these two girls had to want to help in that way. Okay, I need to finish up. I am so sorry for talking too long. I hope I haven't bored you to death. Um, I appreciate your patience. If you're interested, there's some brochures on the table there about what we're doing or talk to me. I'd be happy to talk to you. There are thousands of great causes, so I'm not trying to twist any arms in particular. Thank you very much. Let's have a quick word of prayer. Holy Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are, for the way you're working in this world, for the way you're working in our lives. I pray, Father, for for your blessing on all of us, that we will be transformed and that we will come to, to know you more deeply and to love you more fully and to live out, Father, what you have for us in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.